Hello. Hey guys. Welcome to the film room. This is this is gonna be kind of a fun episode for us. Yeah. All of them are really, but I mean, this one we've been waiting for a while to do this one. This is one that is kind of a chance to do a little bit of an odds and ends cast because we're not talking about a film today. We're talking about trailers. And specifically, how they lie to everybody. Let's face it, trailers are advertising and advertising lies. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to uh, enforce truth in advertising when it's when it's a piece of art. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the job of a trailer is to get your ass in the seats. Right. And we, we could pause and look at how trailers have evolved over time and... No, we're we're not going to do that. Um, trailers from the 50s and 60s had their own set of problems. I mean, you look at the early trailers, and boy, did they have their own set of problems. But the problem of lying, that's one that's gone back from the very beginning. There's a, a great story in the book Adventures in the Screen Trade uh, by William Goldman, where he talks about having seen a trailer for a movie that was a boxing movie, and he was like, ooh, excited, just, yeah, it was a boxing movie. And he gets in there and he finds out that every single moment of the boxing was in the trailer. The movie was actually a romance. Oh. And he sat there, seething, counting every kiss. Amazing. Yeah. So this is a problem that's, it's nothing new. It's, it's nothing new. Obviously, look, trailers from when we were kids are different from the ones that we see now. So, yeah, we're not we're not going to get into the evolution. I I don't know enough about editing to do so. We're going to talk about, as I said, the fact that they lie, and sometimes when they don't lie, and how that can be a problem too. But I think uh, one thing that I will say is I don't know how you are about the trailers before movies. I mean, to me, knowing that the uh, moment that they say that the film starts on the uh listings everybody knows that that's when the trailers start right some people take that as the oh we've got 10 to 15 minutes extra yeah i kind of do i mean i i do like to get there before the trailers start it's it's that sweet spot hitting just after the uh the pre-show which i find the most annoying part of the theater experience and before the trailers yeah especially about a decade ago when we were being hit with the fanta ads Ugh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I do like to get there for the trailers. Um, I went to the theater yesterday to see a, a film that will be discussed later on this summer. But, uh, you know, it was, it was nice. Huh? Sometimes it's fun when you'll see tra uh, a trailer reel that's like, how did y'all decide that that was what you wanted to put together? Because, you know, a lot of times, okay, the studios will usually demand one or two specific trailers to be screened and then the theater puts them together themselves and i've seen some crazy ones uh every time we both go to see the same movie it's like oh yeah what trailers did you get yeah yeah and that's how everybody that's is. always fun i noticed that that's how everybody is uh pretty much every reviewer that i watch online if they're doing a current film will at least give some lip service to them yeah i also find it fun uh when like i've seen a trailer already but, you know, hadn't seen it either A in 3D or B on the big screen. And it's always fun to see those with an audience. Yeah. Um, I, I know a couple months ago when I went to see uh, The Hobbit, there was uh, the Godzilla trailer aired. And <laughs> before they'd announced what the film actually was, someone in the back jokingly yelled out, 
Godzilla! Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> Good job. So, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of, um, it is fun. I know that what's interesting is when a trailer hits and you can tell that the audience is really excited for the film, uh, the Dark Knight mm-hmm. Rises teasers, every time that I saw them before a movie, the audience shut up. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I went to see Harry Potter and it was a packed house and the audience just went, <gasps> There's a storm coming. You sound like you're looking forward to it. And for a minute, there was nothing. You could you could have heard a pin drop as the audience was soaking up their first look at this material. So, yeah. Yeah. Another category I think we'll have to add is oversaturation. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one that we're going to get to. Because that's one. But, yeah. But, um, yeah, um, one of the things I will say is uh, we, we would be remiss if we didn't note that when the uh, trailer for episode one hit, people would, uh, you know, it would be announced, which uh, they announced what films it was going to be on. And people would go see these movies just to see that trailer. I forgot about that. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people would go theater hopping. Uh, so, yeah, so that that happened. That, that happened. But, you know, we've talked enough about... Our, our thoughts on the good trailers. Let's talk about the fact that, as we said, trailers lie. They're advertising, and they lie to us. And in the process of doing so, we've got several films that we're going to bring up. And in, in noting our problems with how trailers lie, we've come to divide them into several subcategories. And uh, these, you know, these are going to be kind of just the, the general ways, the general problems that we see with trailers lying. It's amazing how uh, how specific these problems are. I mean, the, these are these are problems that range from genres being misrepresented to just out and out lying. I mean, just outright lying to the audience about what the film is that was made. So, you know, to that end, um, let, let's 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 kick off with the. Uh, first category that i think we should get into and and before i get to this i, I do want to note that we would be lost without the help of uh, tvtropes.org was a great reference point for this a number of our references did start there i think a good place to start is with the actors who are in the films yeah because man this is a common problem and that problem is when uh actors are billed far higher than they're actually in the film I think the shorthand you gave me for this is cameo as star. Exactly. When an actor only cameos in a film, but they're a much bigger name. And I'll note that if you really want to see where this is executed, look at DVD boxes of actors' early roles. They might only be in the film for five minutes, and they'll be billed on it as the star. That that can be seen in True Romance. I mean, Brad Pitt doesn't have a big section on the box. But if you look on the back, he's billed as one of the stars. He's only in three scenes. Three scenes, and you and you can tell it's like an afternoon's worth of shooting. You seen them? Mm-hmm. They stay in here? No, they're staying at the Safari Motor Motel Inn. How do you know that? I mean, have you been over there? No. Well, they were here, and they said that they were going to go there. All right, you take care. I might be back. Yeah. Okay, be cool. Me, man. Kill you, man. It's insane. And what's funny about that is, in that case, um, I'm hoping that they put Tarantino's name good and big on the box. Yeah. 
he only wrote the thing. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, I mean, it's hardly a project that Tarantino has gone in and disowned. Uh, right. He didn't direct it, but he was extremely happy with uh, Tony Scott landing it. He proclaims it as part of a trilogy with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. I think that most people would agree that's pretty accurate thematically. But, you know, I mean, it's funny, that's so common that it's, that's why it's kind of shocking to watch Cool World, which Pitt is put on the cover <laughs> and is extensively billed on it. And then you watch the movie and realize, wait a minute, he really probably is the main character of this film. I mean, it's so awkwardly edited and shot and cut that he probably is the main character of the film. Even though it's clear that he was not intended to be. Yeah. So it's kind of funny then to watch an example like that where you're like, yeah, if that's what you're watching this for, you're gonna get it. But you poor bastard, you're watching Cool World. You poor <laughs> bastard. You're still losing. For me, the example that pops to mind is a film that I deeply love. And I'm just gonna rage for a moment that y'all didn't see it. Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow... guys have any idea what you missed man that's that's a fun film to watch that is a tremendous piece of fun and i'm i'm sorry you guys just missed on this one that's all it comes down to is the the general audience missed on it Mm -hmm. it wasn't for everybody's taste but man it was fun that said the film has has a glaring problem and that problem is angelina jolie and a courageous naval officer what have you got me into this time joseph Nothing you can't handle, Frankie. Are all that stand between the enemies of the future and the world of tomorrow. She's in the film for about 15 minutes. She's very entertaining in it, frankly. She, she does an excellent job in it. I've got no complaints with her being listed as a highlight of the film. The problem is she's treated as the third lead behind Jude Law and Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, she's plastered all over the posters. She's all over marketing. She's all over Yeah. And she's really not in the film that much. As I said, I have no problem with people bringing her up because she is good in the film. But there are other actors in this film that easily could have gotten higher billing than she did. What year was this movie? This was like 2000? 2004. Jude, Jude Law would have been a big name back then. It was his apex. It was his biggest moment, yeah. So I don't, I don't see why he shouldn't have gotten front billing there. I don't know. I don't know what they were quite thinking. This was, I'll say this, the studio tried. This is a case where I don't blame the studio's marketing on that film not breaking big. The studio tried. Man, they worked their asses off on it, and they ran a great campaign. The general audience just wasn't going to go, though, so. Yeah. But that's one that irks me. Um, Quite famously, The Expendables has had this problem. Yeah. You notice how they were quick to note that Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis were in this movie? Give this job to my friend here. He loves playing in the jungle. Right? Right. Let me guess. They weren't in it for that long. They were in it for about as long as they're in the trailer. Ha! Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, that's one I haven't seen. I still blame it for taking box office away from Scott Pilgrim. Me too. Well, me too. Yeah. By the way, there's another one where you gotta give it to the studio. They tried. Um, Oh god, yeah. You know, that's a case of, you know, accurate marketing. I Mm -hmm. think what they marketed was exactly what we got. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. With Scott Pilgrim, they absolutely 
sold you the movie that you got. Problem was, general audiences weren't going to go see that film. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Look, people, we're always going to go back to that film. It's always going to be a touchstone for us. You know that. Just like The Room and Birdemic. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, and Troll 2. Only for different reasons. All for different reasons. Um, but, but you know, I mean, you, you look at these uh, at these cameos. Of course, we mentioned on uh, the incre- on Marvel Cast 2 when they brought up the Tony Stark stinger and put all of it in the trailer. Oh, hey, look. Hey, remember Tony Stark from Iron Man? He's totally going to be in this movie. No, he's not. No, he's not. Are there any that come to your mind? Because I'm sure that there are. So I, ha- I hadn't seen that happen for a while for me. It is, it is, it does seem like it's scaling back. I think because of IMDb. You know, I think because people are increasingly getting aware of the fact that, hey, this is probably how it works. You know, you do see this happening, that these minor parts are getting blown up. So in an inverse to that, does does the inverse ever happen where you see a major actor in a surprisingly major role in a film and you're like, ooh, didn't expect that. Yeah, where they they downplay their presence? Yeah, because that happens. There was a great example of the Kenneth Branagh wonderful film noir, uh, Dead Again, which, oh man, if y'all haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's a great film noir with a hell of a twist. It's about reincarnation, and man, it's it's good. It's it's so very good. Um, Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson, let's see, I think Derek Jacobi uh, was in it. And then there's the name that wasn't in the trailers, wasn't in the ads, and it's a small supporting role, but oh my god, it's Robin Williams. Huh. And he's seriously in it. He's genuinely in the film, uh, in, a, in, a, in a good part, too. He's, he, he plays a nice supporting part in it. And it's really cool to see him in it, because, you know, Williams is a good actor, and he gets to let his instincts uh, get well used for it. So, yeah. So, it, it, that does happen. And, you know, it occurs to me, you see this celebrity actor's um, build high. You see that a lot in uh, animated movies. This is true. God, because DreamWorks likes to cast stars in every single part of their movies. You'll see that a lot. I, I have a long essay that I... There's a cast coming on why <laughs> Kung Fu Panda has serious issues in terms of its voice casting. That's a film that I actually really yeah. have a lot of affection for. But I will say that in that series, they probably only pull off about, I don't know, three or four good pieces of voice casting. One of which, by the way, in the sequel is Gary Oldman. Wow. Yeah. And Oldman just... Ugh, it's awesome. Um, he, He's so <laughs> well used in that. But... If you watch those movies, you'll see names like Seth Rogen and uh, Angelina Jolie. Again, man, she's a perpetual offender yeah. on the posters. And you'll uh, be like, ooh, wow, they're in this movie. No. No, not so much. No, they're in it for about ten minutes apiece. Uh, not so actually with the sequel. Uh, Jolie's part actually increases in the sequel. And she's well, she's better used there, but still. She's a tiger, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she, but still, I don't know. That said, Jack Black was wonderful in it. You know, you, you have that a lot in animated movies. Uh, Epic had that big time, with a lot of their smaller voice casting highlighted over the main cast. One cameo that we should be uh, be quick to note is Matthew McConaughey in The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, was he was he presented heavily in the trailer? Yes, yes he was. Oh god. He's only in two scenes. But McConaughey's hot right now. He is. You know, which is funny because 
there was probably a time where they would have wanted to downplay his presence in a movie. But he's, you know, right now, he's at the best moment in his career that he's had yet, so of course they're yeah. going to want to play up the hype, but yeah. And he's been at it for, he's been at it for 20 years, so I'm surprised he's blowing up just now. Well, it's because he, t- it's because he h- sat down and actually re- remembered that he's a good actor. Yeah. But, okay, that, that's irritating. Let's talk about another trope. And this is one that I know you've probably seen a lot of examples of. The deleted scene trailer. Deleted scene trailer, yeah. I think you told me that, um, who was it that likes to do that? Like the Fairley Brothers? The Farrelly Brothers are guilty of it. Um, so is Adam McKay. Adam McKay? Adam McKay, who did uh, Anchorman and Talladega Nights. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. This is an interesting instance of where lying might actually not be a bad thing. Uh, if you watch the trailer for Anchorman, take notice of how many scenes are actually in the finished film. You'd be surprised by the percentage. It's not that high. Burgundy did it! I am! Oh! Ron Burgundy is down! It is bad! Wow. Quite a few of the scenes are taken from deleted subplots. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Anchorman had so much deleted footage, the first one, that they were able to put together uh, an entire alternate film that was cobbled together. It's on YouTube, and it's kind of worth your time. Wow. Just like they did with uh, this with 2, only they actually officially released it. Yeah, with... Well, they, they, yeah, they, they did that with the, the second film, except that in that case, they were planning on it the whole time. Yeah, if you watch that trailer, you'll be floored by how many scenes don't make it into the actual film. Hmm. Um, now, a, a big offender of this is the Paranormal Activity movie. The second and third films both had trailers that were essentially comprised of scenes that didn't make it into the film. The third film, big time. I don't know that there was even... There may have been two or three shots in the trailers for Paranormal Activity 3 that actually made it into the finished film. That's... wow. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I know. No no wonder that um, they did the marketing campaign that they did on that. Yeah. With the... Uh, with the uh, oh, here's a test audience. We screened it on. Yeah, oh, look how scared they are. They're so scared. Yeah, they're watching. Yeah, because they have no idea what to expect. They're watching a different film. Now, don't get me wrong. That was a that was a genius marketing move on their part because it absolutely worked. It did. Everybody bought into that hype, but that's how they did it. Yeah, you know, and I so they didn't actually rely on uh, much film footage for that. No, they didn't. Well, I mean, it's worth noting the trailers for the first film. Even still, they were more trying to play up the experience versus the actual film. Because the actual film would cut for a very poor trailer. The actual film yeah. is entirely dependent on the experience of having the suspense built over the period of the film. Which, you know, worked just fine in the theater. Um, I actually quite like the first, and I, I really like the first and third Paranormal Activity movies. The second one has its problems. But again, they don't cut for good trailers. They don't cut for good spots. Uh, they're they're very suspense dependent, and I should note, I'm I'm bringing up the fact that the uh, scenes in Anchorman two, you're in the Anchorman trailers were inaccurate because the same thing happened on the second film. They openly said, "Yeah, we we put a lot of scenes in this trailer that are not going in the finished film." Here's the thing, I don't mind it because the films wound up being still 
pretty good. Hmm. You know, the, the 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 film still wound up working. You still, you know, I love Anchorman. I've seen it countless times. I know it practically by heart. And I thought the second one was pretty good too. Um, I haven't seen the alternate cut. I do intend to, uh, but. You see what I'm saying? These these were movies that, you know, the trailer still sold you the experience. You just weren't getting exactly what you expected when you got in there. Right. And as we're going to discuss a little later on in the cast, that's kind of nice. But, yeah, the trailers, you know, I mean, it's hard to believe that some of the most iconic moments from Anchorman are not in the trailer. And you also have to factor in the fact that for a lot of these movies, they're very, you know, they're very, the content doesn't exactly, you can't show it to the general public. This happens a lot with R-rated comedies. Red band trailers. Red band trailers have started letting them get away with it, and I don't like that. Yeah. Although it's funny, again, sometimes you'd be surprised, though, with what you can get away with. The difference between the red band 22 Jump Street trailer and the theatrical green band trailer is they don't drop the F-bomb. And that seems to be about it. That seems to be about the only difference. Ladies, nobody gave a shit about the Jump Street reboot, but you got lucky. Ladies, nobody cared about the Jump Street reboot, but you got lucky. You can still get away with some pretty astonishing language, I've discovered. You two sons of bitches are going to college. Yeah. Side note, I'm looking forward to that one, but it's not just because of the trailers. It's they're, they're coming out. There's a lot of reasons to look forward to that one. As I said, the deleted scene trailer is common. I know that the uh, trailer for Dumb and Dumber was heavy on deleted scenes. And it should be stressed that this one is not so much of a sin because there's usually a good reason. Comedies especially are heavily being edited. They're made in the editing room. Yeah. The Farrelly Brothers, Adam McKay, pretty much any comedy filmmaker, they test their films extensively. And there's almost always alternate cuts. That's why comedies have a lot of deleted scenes. Yeah. I mentioned this before. This is Spinal Tap has enough alternate scenes to form an entire alternate film. A much <laughs> longer alternate film. I mean, there's so much deleted footage on the table. Got it, but... But, you know, as I said, with, with these movies, they're being edited. They're, and they're being tested and just polished to within a, you know, an inch of their lives. So, of course, there's going to be deleted scenes. The trailers are constantly in fluctuation. And... So, yeah, that makes sense. But those are two problems that trailers have. Uh, to me, those pale next to what I'm about to consider some of the big, serious sins. And really, those 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 are small compared to the ones that we're about to hit on. Are you talking about the uh, the genre misrepresentation? Yes, I am. Let's, let's hit on that one, because yesterday I saw an amazing example of genre misrepresentation. I saw trailers for the uh, Christmas comedy Annie. That's uh, This is going to hit at Christmas time. It's a comedy with uh, Jamie Foxx. And it's uh, it's a comedy about a... Uh, In the uh, the little girl from Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yes. Truthfully, it, honestly, it doesn't look unfunny. Uh, uh, it's from the director of Easy A. By the way, there's a film with some bizarre billing displacement in its credits, by the way. Uh, Emma Stone is credited last in the credits really isn't she the star she's the main character and in essentially every single <laughs> frame of the film yes wow i i've also heard that's a very good film oh it's a wonderful film if you haven't seen i highly recommend it it's it's up there with mean girls in my opinion oh cool but you know i'm watching the trailer for annie and it's it it looks not unfunny um i like jamie fox um and uh 
Here's the thing about it. Notice that I'm calling it a comedy. What am I not referring to it as? A musical? A musical. That's because the trailer goes out of its way to hide the fact that it's a musical. Why are you running? It gets me places quicker. Little kids. Will, this is really going to help your race for mayor. He's a foster kid from Harlem. I'm here on behalf of Will Stacks, and he would like to take Annie out for lunch. You can keep me as long as you want. <laughs> She's kidding. Because, you know, Annie's a fucking musical. The trailer very awkwardly deals with the fact that obviously some of the iconic songs are in there, but they're almost in it on the soundtrack. Yeah. I think I think if I if I remember right it has the G, the Jay-Z version of Hard Knock Life. No, it has the it has the version from this film. But most people are going to think it? it's okay. the Jay-Z version. Sandy wait. Ah, see I did even though exactly. I even though I knew that it was originally from Annie. Yeah. Well, uh yeah. So you watch this trailer, and they give you next to n no indication that this movie is a musical. You're just sitting there going, what are you, what, what is this? As I said, it's a decent trailer in terms of selling a film. It doesn't look unpleasant. You know, it looks well shot, but it's a musical. A few other films that do this, I believe that Sweeney Todd kind of hid that fact. Big time. Majorly hid it. Also, most recently, I heard Les Miserables did that. Les Miserables did that. Uh, with the exception of um, I Dreamed a Dream. That's like the only song that gets any attention in it. Yeah. And, of course, I think, if I if I remember back now, uh, there's absolutely no dialogue in the, uh, in the trailers. Because, well, the whole movie is a giant song. Mm -hmm. If they have dialogue, they find alternate cuts where the right. actors talk in the dialogue versus sing it. Right. I'm cold. Would you let me stay here for tonight? I know who you are. You're Jean Valjean. This is just one of those decisions. Yeah, musicals, we didn't note that in the musical cast, but Hollywood is afraid to sell a musical as a musical. There were yeah. people who were outraged that Frozen turned out to be a musical. Really? Yeah, there were people... Because the trailers didn't give them any real indication that it was a musical. What? Uh, it, you're you're at a fucking Disney film. Yeah, but granted, there was no singing in Wreck It Ralph, but you should be prepared for this. I mean, come on. Well, look at the Billboard charts to see though how audiences reacted once they did find out that it was a musical. <laughs> yeah, Let It Go was a hit. So much money there, an Oscar-winning hit. That happens all the time. It's like they think that people hate music or something. You know, they hide the musical. They hide the fact that it's a musical. Weirdly enough, sometimes they will sell what is a normal thriller as a supernatural thriller. Have you seen the trailer for Red Eye with uh, Killian Murphy and Rachel McAdams? Mm, I haven't. There's the hints that Murphy's character is supernatural. Because they digitally uh, redden his eyes. He's not. He's not. The film is not that kind of film. I, I don't get, um, it's it's baffling. Like, I know that, uh, you know, they're trying to get butts in seats, but I mean, there is such a thing as people walking out of movies demanding refunds. Yeah, they don't. That exists. They don't care about that. They're, they care about the first weekend. Uh, this is a first weekend industry. Yeah. It's kind of different in that way from anything else as far as, as far as how marketing works. Yeah. 
And in some cases, it's really about first day. But, you know, I think one of the things that has changed that a little bit is social networking. Uh-huh. Because that, that really enhances the word of mouth thing. Oh, yeah. Because they're aware of the fact that within moments, the buzz can hit on a film. Now, if the buzz is good, of course, it will impact your film seriously. A film that was accurately marketed, the Lego movie, was a major beneficiary of this, for example. Oh, yeah. You know, I remember hearing great things like a few days before it opened. Yeah, I mean, as soon as word of mouth hit the uh, streets on that one, people were talking about it, and it drove the box office up. Frozen, major, major beneficiary of it, which kind of helped to get around the fumbled marketing. That's really what kept that film such a long-running film this winter, was because people were talking about it. I didn't get to see it until late into its run, but... Yeah, me too. I don't think I got seen until January. But people were talking about it. People were discussing it. It was in the public consciousness. And that has an impact. That said, you know that the studio doesn't feel great about a film when they don't let critics see it early. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a bad sign. We need to stress that. If you ever see a uh, movie that the critics are not allowed to see, you are not going to see it. No. Um, horror films almost never have critic screenings. If, In fact, if you see a horror movie where they do have a critic screening, that's usually a good sign. Um, now, I will say that's kind of fading a little bit. What's increasingly becoming common is the heavy embargo. I knew that the uh, Johnny Depp film Transcendence was, a, was going to be a disaster when they held the embargo up until about, oh, I don't know, Tuesday of the week of release. Mm-hmm. That was like, oh boy, this must not be any good. And indeed, all critical response suggests it wasn't. But getting back to the genre misrepresentation, one of the key examples that I always like to cite is a movie that a lot of people really hate. Mm -hmm. And y'all, I want everybody to sit down and watch the trailers and TV spots for funny people. Did anybody ever tell you you have a very scary accent? You are a very funny man. I enjoy your movies. And I enjoy all of your movies. Which movies? The ones where you try to kill Bruce Willis. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Looks like a laugh riot, doesn't it? I feel as though you need to tell someone other than me about your condition. I don't want to do that. George, people care about you. You have to let them be there for you. I mean, it has funny in the title. Yeah, and look at that cast. Adam Sandler, uh, Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, Aziz Ansari, Aubrey Plaza, Jason Schwartzman, uh, Leslie Mann. These are people who are great comedic presences. It comes from the guy that did The 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked Up. How could this not be funny? Oh, by the way, Adam Sandler totally has cancer. Yeah. Oh, He's yeah. dying. Yeah. <laughs> Adam Sandler plays a man facing a uh, near-death crisis. It forces him to examine his life. It forces him to see how he's not been a very good person. Oh, it's interesting about the fact that they tried to market it as a comedy. You know, by all appearances, yeah, it's very, it was very easy to make that, to make that leap without the marketing is that comedians have, uh, how should I put this? 
they have a tendency towards depression. Mm-hmm. And that's what the film is actually about. Yeah. And they are generally not happy people. So that's, yeah, that's what the theme of the film is. And why it, so many comedians were cast in it. It is a difficult film to watch. I'm not going to tell you that it is an easy film. It runs over two hours. And it is a film that deals with a man who comes to realize just how shallow and empty his life is. The problem is that this doesn't automatically make him a better person. In fact, what makes the film so uncomfortable is that we see that so much of this man's problems are a result of character flaws that are deeply embedded in him. Uh, Sandler plays a brutal monster of a character, a selfish, arrogant, manipulative, just bastard. And his character has no regard for other people. Um, He's balanced out by Seth Rogen as a man who does have a soul and who values it, who at the end rejects Sandler's attitudes and approaches and says that, you know, if this is what being funny is, he doesn't want to be because he'd rather be a good person. And, okay, I realize that I'm making the film sound very hard to watch. Let me stress something. I actually think it's a really damned good film. Oh, it's a great film. It's a superb piece of work. Had it been sold accurately as the drama that it is, I think it would have had a very different reaction. Yeah. You know, because it is a good film. It's a very good film. It's the best work Sandler has ever done as an actor. This is the movie where you can step back and go, wow, this guy can act. That's why he frustrates me so. I know. Because this is a Uh. really great performance. What's interesting is it was written by his old roommate. Really? He used to room with Judd Apatow. Um, Really? You know... I, I will say, if you watch the movies within the film that Sandler's character has made, you realize that Apatow was taking some barbed jabs at his friend. No, Craig, you're not going to the meeting. You're a baby. Really? Thanks for telling me. I forgot for a second that I had a one-inch penis. This is a direct slam on Sandler, which is interesting because in real life, from everything I understand, Sandler is not the character that he plays in that film. Uh, in fact... He's kind of known for being just the opposite. Someone with a close-knit group of friends who you can see in pretty much every movie that he makes. You know, it's not a coincidence that the people that he works with are the people that he works with, you know? He's known to be happily married, he's known to be a father, and he's known to be a very nice guy. Mm. But, man, the movies that he's depicted as making are not that far off from Jack and Jill. (sighs) Yeah. In fact, I have a theory that making this movie was so traumatic for Sandler that he just ran away from drama. It was like, I can't do this. Because if you look at it, the movies that he's made since that movie are more soulless. Yeah. And I hate that. I love Adam Sandler. Uh, or at least I love the Adam Sandler of Happy Gilmore and The Wedding Singer. And this movie. Oh, yeah. He's losing his mind. And I'm reaping all the benefits. But, uh, you know, this is a movie that, again, I really liked it. And I really don't understand. I understand why audiences stayed away because they were sold such a bill of lies in this trailer. Mm-hmm. It should be noted, this wasn't the only time that Seth Rogen would be in a movie that was completely misrepresented. What movie were the ads for Observe and Report selling? I'm here with Ronnie Barnhart, one of the security guards here at the mall. No, who can God, hardly... uh, ma'am, I'm, I'm the head of mall security. You should do that again and say it right. They were, it was, again, selling a wacky comedy. 
<laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> what were you guys talking about? What were you, what were you saying to each other? <laughs> it's so not even remotely that film, though. A wacky comedy about a guy that, for all purposes, should be on heavy medication. Have you seen Observe and Report? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I have. It is... It is a film that, <laughs> that I can recommend <laughs> with a lot of reservations. <laughs> oh, not that I don't think it's a superb film. I do. But it is an incredibly right. dark motion picture. There are funny moments in it. Yeah. Like, you know, the the, the fuck you-a-thon is really funny. But, I mean, wow. Like, Seth Rogen is scary in this movie. Yeah. This, this is a movie where you see just how much he can act. He is... Yeah. He's intense in it. Uh, for those who... This was a movie that everyone was like, oh, it's like Paul Blart Mall Cop. Oh, no. Wow, it couldn't be any less like Paul Blart Mall Cop. This, I I would have loved to have seen the faces of uh, people in the theater seeing it thinking it was that. No. Because that is, oh, that's an elaborate prank. Like, that's, it has to be. It, it does. Uh, I mean, because you're just sitting there going, oh, man, this is... This is not the movie I was sold. <laughs> this is unpleasant. <laughs> this is not happy. This is not fun. I'm not enjoying this. For the record, I did I did like it. Yeah, too. Well, as I said, I thought it was superb. I knew what I was getting into. That's the thing. I didn't. Oh, God, did I not. I had no illusions. Oh, boy. In fact, I was actually excited to see the film that I knew I was going to get because that interested me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. The thing about it is, again, you look at the cast list and you're like, Oh, it's Seth Rogen, um, Anna Faris, um, Aziz Ansari has a cameo, Patton Oswalt has a cameo, Ray Liotta's always cool for a cameo. This could be fun! Oh my god, this isn't fun! <laughs> no. You know, you hear the plot and it's about, uh, mall cops trying to stop a flasher. You think, ooh, wacky fun. No, the flasher scenes are really awful. And uncomfortable. They're, they are. The film... But again, it was sold to audiences as, oh, this is going to be fun. You can go outside. This is my world. We don't want to hurt you, Ronnie. You didn't bring enough pigs to hurt me. Are there any other examples that you can think of, like, where the genre is wrong? Okay. In Bruges. In Bruges was one. I haven't seen it. Ah, it's really good. It is really good. It's one of my favorite films. I like Colin Farrell. Yes. And he is great. Um, the film does have its funny moments. It is a funny film, but it is not a comedy. It is a drop-dead serious film. It's basically like a little allegory for purgatory. Yeah, it seems fitting. Um, yeah, and it is very interesting. It is funny in parts, but it is not a comedy. But yeah, it, it was sold as like a wacky UK comedy. For two weeks, in Bruges, in a room like this... Would you? No way. Been to the top of the tower? Guidebook says it's a must-see. Well, you ain't going up there. Why? It's all windy stairs. I'm not being funny. What exactly are you trying to say? There are a bunch of elephants. Adventureland was a big one that pissed people off. Yeah. That one, to me, almost borders on outright lying to the audience. Yeah. Uh, it's That's not a comedy. It's a drama. Not even remotely. Again, I liked it. Um, it's a film I enjoy. Hancock is kind of one. Yeah, Hancock is an interesting example. Hancock, 
they're not lying to you about the first half of the movie. They're just not telling you that in the second half it's going to become a completely different film. Right. This is one that we kind of touched on uh, in our parody cast, but man, that's a movie that at the halfway mark stops dead, takes a hard right turn, and it's not a right turn for the better. No. Yeah, if it had just been about what the first half is about, that would have been fine. And you know, if it would have been just about what the second half is about, that also would have been fine. But they are not the same movie. No, they're not. And it's a shame because you've got so much going for this film. Will Smith is working. He's 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 trying hard in it. I like Charlize Theron. I was, you know, and she's always an asset to a film, and she tries. She tries. Yeah. You just can't do anything about that one moment, and the film's been out long enough that I think we can spoil what that moment is. We can definitely spoil it. The moment where she flings him through the house, and it's revealed that she's actually just like him, and is actually his wife, uh, who he's forgotten about. And they're, and they're angels. And they're angels. And it's just a moment where you're just sitting there going, this is not what I paid for. What is this? Yeah. What a, what what has this become? Yeah. Uh, it's amazing to me. I don't know. The second part, it definitely suffers from that right turn uh, because the second part almost feels like it meanders after that. Yeah. Um. So it's like, okay, we've done our big twist. Now what? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what was interesting about Hancock was that I read an initial draft of the script, and it has no bearing on what the finished film was. It wound up that the film was rewritten so many times that the original premise huh. was lost. Wow. Yeah. What was it originally about? Originally, it was about a uh, fallen superhero who was just this terrible, like, creepy stalker figure. It wasn't particularly good, to be honest. Um... Huh. Incidentally, the writer who was largely tasked with doing much of the rewriting was uh, Breaking Bad creator, although that's never what I'm going to think of him as, uh, Vince Gilligan. <laughs> Vince Gilligan? Oh my god. Who, of course, for me, I'll, he'll always be one of the key writers of the X-Files. So, Oh, I didn't know he worked on that. Oh, extensively. Extensively. He was a, a major... That's cool. He was a major force uh, during... A, uh, I forget which seasons. I think season six and seven. He was a real major figure. So yeah, wow. That would be um, that's the Robert Patrick years, isn't it? Uh, the end of the Duchovny years, and he did and he did write one last one, and he wrote the show's next to last episode. So yeah. Oh, cool. So yeah. <laughs> so there's that. So yeah, it makes sense, and I feel like that's kind of something that you'll notice about these movies that are sold on their awkward tones is a lot of times that is the case that, you know, that because the movies have been so in the case of Adventureland, I'm not surprised they tried to sell it as the wrong genre. It was, um, I think it was after it was Miramax at a point where they were about to collapse. So yeah, it was after the Weinstein years, uh, post Weinstein Miramax is a sad thing, you know, but I mean, you, you do have that. And are there are there any other like good genre misrepresentations that you can think of? Because you know, as bad as genre misrepresentations can be, before we get to our final category, we have to get to one that really makes me angry, and that's when trailers don't lie. That's when trailers put it all on the table. Mm. That oh my god, <sighs> that burns me the most. I think I think it burns everybody the most. 
it's especially for um and this is just a matter of personal opinion especially for comedies that don't wind up being that funny um, yes like it almost feels like lying because they put all the best jokes in the trailer and it's like when you come across that it's like oh that's a funny joke but i've already heard it and then you know the movie just drags on and it's like wow okay that was it yeah that was it the trailer blew the wad and um, if you'll excuse the, the crude, uh, term. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, because that really is what it feels like. This, this one happens a lot. I remember the first time that I really got angry about this and it was, you know, I remember Men in Black. I remember watching that mm. trailer and being like, oh, wow, this is a cool, tra- oh, every single shot that, uh, was any good in the film is in the trailer. Yeah. Um, Men in Black had that problem big time. It was because yeah, because it, it's it's a great trailer. That movie cuts a great trailer, and every single scene that matters is in that trailer. There, there's nothing left by the end of that. And of course, that's a short movie. That's only about ninety minutes. You know, the same year, the the now largely forgotten uh, In and Out had a great trailer, funny, great moments, and again, every single beat that was funny was in that damn trailer going up to recent years role models a movie that i still managed to like through the through it having this problem Uh, i still managed to like role models quite a bit because of the quality of the acting but every joke is in that trailer i mean it's it's uh, i don't know i don't know if you're if you're a marketing person you're looking at this at these films, and going, okay, what can I put in the trailer? You know, one of the things to consider is, you know, not giving too much away. You know, because you're, you know, if you give, if you give away the film in the trailer, what's there left? There isn't anything. It, it, it comes down to, you, you wind up with people feeling really angry because they've been sold. You know? Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, some people don't care. Some people are like, Oh, you, that was as funny as you ever get. Every gag I thought was funny was in it. No. I think a big one that did that is I Am Legend. Yeah, it it, it did, although that's a film that I still do quite like. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, just about every scare is in that trailer. Yeah, pretty much. Thankfully, the film has a nice level of atmosphere uh, to make it really still work. But you're right. You're right. I mean, pretty much every big jump scare is in that trailer. Going a little bit more vague, I know a lot of uh, animated films do that. A lot of kids' films. Despicable Me is the worst offender in recent years for me. Which is funny because that trailer kind of initially, those trailers kind of concealed a major plot element. The uh, Mm -hmm. fact that he became an adoptive father. Yeah. But... They still, you you know, you still had every major joke. Pretty much every moment that the minions were in, they're in. Yeah, they really played up the minions for the second film. I have not seen the second film. I have no desire to see the second film because, I, as I said... I've heard it's I've heard it's problematic, but you know, but the I remember making a, a comment like you know, 
Okay, here's what I know about Despicable Me 2. Minions! Minions everywhere! <clears throat> That's all I know. That's literally all I know about it. We're finally gonna... They're finally just giving up and making a full Minions film. Um, I will say... Are they really? Yeah. I will say, uh, Puss in Boots had that issue too, where it felt like every good joke was in that trailer. Y yeah. I was... I can't say I was disappointed by Puss in Boots because I did not expect much. I didn't expect much either, but still, you're like... And I, I didn't get much <laughs> in return. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't say I was disappointed there, but... 3D wasn't bad. That's kind of like the most I can say. <laughs> oh boy. But I mean, you just watch this move, these movies, and I get it. I get that you want to get people in the theater, but mm -hmm. I also love it when, like, you see the entire story given away in a movie trailer, not just all the good parts. I know this this one has been on the tip of both of our tongues since we uh, started this one. You know what movie I'm thinking of. Okay, for those who don't remember, there was a lawsuit filed against the makers of the movie Drive for uh, misrepresenting their film. I don't care what no. happened to the lawsuit. Here's what I care about. The The opposite is true on that. If you watch that trailer, you have seen the entire movie condensed into 2 minutes and 30 seconds. All that's missing is the uh, scenes in between that give it pacing and characters... But every single plot point is in that trailer. Yeah, including the. Uh, it's one of those I like. I love that movie. Yeah, I, do too. I think I'm. I am so glad I did not watch the trailer right before seeing the movie, because you know it, it had its intended effect um, for me. You know, and a lot of people are kind of pissed because you know the movie is called Drive, and I've heard it described. You know, the first. Uh, you know, of course, that first scene is, you know, depicting what he does. He's a getaway man. You know, he's a for-hire getaway man. And, you know, the first scene is basically... Actually, I think the first scene is, um, a, good... is a good descriptor of the movie. Yeah, it so, is. So, you know what? Screw these criticisms. Yeah. But, um, no, the, the criticism was, oh, yeah, all the excitement happens in that first scene and then nothing. Do you know how much of that first scene was, like, an actual chase? Like, maybe two seconds. Yeah. The rest he hid from the cops, and it was all stealth. It's all about suspense. It's about building characters. Yes. Suspense. Um, there are tremendous performances throughout. Let's see. I mean, you've got a cast here of um, Ryan Gosling, uh, Albert Brooks, Ron Perlman, Brian Cranston, Carrie Mulligan, Oscar mm. Isaac, um, Christina Hendricks. This is a cast of actors that are, you're just lucky to sit there and watch. These are people that are actually worth watching. They're actors that do things and are actually interesting to observe. And they're well used. It gives, and it's in chronological order. That's the best part. This trailer. Oh, yeah. It, it even gives away the music for the movie. It's even scored uh. to the music from the film. I mean, this is, you know, there's another trailer out there that's similar to that in terms of being so accurate to the film that it depicts uh, the secret life of Walter Mitty. If you watch that oh, really? trailer, you've essentially now you haven't seen the whole film. There's still a lot of plot to be discovered, but right. If you watch that trailer, you have a very good idea of what the film is uh, because music cues, um, just the general style of the trailer is spot on. And 
That's a film that critics really did not like, and they are wrong. They're so wrong. Mm. That's that's on DVD now. I highly recommend it. Um, it'll probably beat a red box by the time this cast hits. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. Amanda and I really loved it. Um, but again, that's a good example. But it but it doesn't spoil too much. I was still able to watch the film and get a lot of enjoyment out of it. But you know, yeah, with Drive, it is it's the film. Yeah. Like even even like the last beat is in there, like the the climax beat. Yes. Where Albert Brooks is talking to him. That is in there and that pissed me off so bad. That is a major spoiler. It is a huge spoiler. It's ugh, I just I don't understand it. And you see this one time and time again. But I don't know. I mean, you just, you have this. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't note two of the biggest offenders of all time are Robert Zemeckis' two films from uh, 2000. What Lies Beneath, which all but gives away who the killer is in its trailer. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, all but gives away, because once it reveals that one of the characters has been lying about something, you're like, oh, they're the killer. And then there's the trailer for Castaway, which gives away a very unbelievably important plot point. The fact that he gets rescued? The fact that he gets rescued is in the trailer. Ah, uh, god damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I seem to remember that now. Yeah. I, I, I'm trying to even process the stupidity of that. Isn't, yeah, isn't the whole point where, you know, you're in suspense if he's going to survive or not? It is, but there's no suspense. It's not like it's based on a true story where you know, well, obviously, they're telling the story so the guy survives. No. I mean, Apollo 13 didn't do that, and we knew for a fact how that one was going to end. Right. Exactly. Ugh. Ugh. Um, I mean, it would have been like uh, if 127 Hours had ended... Well, actually, that one does kind of have a spoiler in its title. Yeah, but, yeah, that's true. You know, a certain, you have a... only there for 127 hours. Yeah, <laughs> but it would have been like if they had, you know, if they had in the trailers included shots of uh, James Franco walking around minus his arm. Mm, true. Which would have been graphic. Man, that film is a hard set. Again, you just watch these these trailers and they don't trust the audience. That's what it comes down to. They don't trust us. So they, they spoon-feed us every plot beat so that they can guarantee to get our tickets. And it works. That's the thing. A number of these trailers that we're discussing, they're films that I did see. I did not see uh, What Lies Beneath, and I don't feel bad about that. But the only reason I might have been interested in seeing it would have been to see what Agent Coulson writing a screenplay would look like. Oh, yes, yeah, oh, nice. Clark Gregg wrote the script, but... In that case, he also did Choke, which I would actually be much more interested in watching. He did that too, really? He wrote and directed it, yeah. I'd rather watch that because it has Sam Rockwell. Now, that's the um, that's the um, one based on Chuck Palahniuk. Oh my god, yeah, wow. Which, I mean, I might watch it just because I don't even like that book very much, but I'd watch it for uh, Rockwell and uh, Kelly MacDonald. I'd watch it for that. Uh, but, I don't know. I mean, I just don't understand. I don't understand why studios feel, and I get it, I guess it's because they trust that audiences have to be spoon-fed, but look at an amazing example of a movie not giving away something, and that's The Hunger Games. 
Oh yeah, Hunger Games and Catching Fire. Go back and watch every trailer for the Hunger Games and notice what they don't show. The Hunger Games. They don't show the games. No, the only moment that they show is like the two or three seconds that they're uh, off the pedestals and heading for the uh, heading for the cornucopia. That's it. That's all that they show because they trusted that the audience would know enough to know that this would be an exciting and interesting film. Because I mean, it's called the Hunger Games. They uh, that was a brilliant marketing strategy, and it was deliberate. By the way, they deliberately decided to do that. Good. I loved that. That was so great because it was like, okay, now there's something to look forward to. For God's sakes, the Harry Potter movies had shots of the final duel. <sighs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, I knew that was coming because I'd read the books, but... Mm-hmm. It's almost akin to showing Harry Potter's death scene. Yeah, it is. I think it's been out long enough. It's been 2000... It's been since 2007. Yeah, yeah, we can... 2000, uh, no, it was 2007 for the book. Well, I mean the book. Yeah, 2007, yeah. The last book, 2007, yeah. I mean, really, it really is akin to that. Um, hell, um, you know, you want to talk about something, the episode three trailers, or the episode three ad campaign puts, put a heavy emphasis on Darth Vader. He's in it for five seconds, and he says, like, five words. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they had him, they have him shown, he's only in the movie for about Five seconds. That's it. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, the character of Darth Vader is in the entire trilogy, prequel trilogy, mind you, but... Right. Still, Vader as we know him is only in it for about five, you know, two minutes tops. Yeah. For the record, I actually like the big no. I'm just going to say that. I like the big no, damn it. It's effective, damn it. I've heard it said that, you know... He should never say Padme, which I kind of agree with. But yeah, the big the big no was great. Yeah, you know. But uh, in a related story, you know, with Episode Two, I saw Yoda's fight lift for the ads. That only happens for about twenty five seconds. Yeah, this is true. I mean, it's cool. Don't get me wrong, but it, you know, if you want to talk about Yoda fighting, go on ahead and lift from Episode Three, where he has that amazing fight with Palpatine. Okay, seriously, I know that fans have issues with these movies, but we got to see Yoda fighting Emperor Palpatine. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, and come on, you know that nerds have, you know, de- have wanted to see that. Yeah, yeah. Listen to our last mini-soap. Yeah. But, you know, again, there's the, so many of these things, these are the best moments, and they're cherry-picked. But you know what? They're almost okay next to the big category, and this is the one that... This is the one that inspired it. Let's talk about when trailers just out and out lighty. Yeah. Now, before we get to some of the big examples that we're going to list, I have to give two honorable mentions. And those are for Bridge to Terabithia, um, Snow Dogs, and Kangaroo Jack, which I have not seen. Yeah. Because, no, Bridge to Terabithia, probably my loss for not having seen it. I've heard it's very good. Uh, I have I have seen it. Um, I've heard it's very good. It is very good. It's it's kind of a tearjerker. But yeah, the all the fantasy sequence uh, happen in imagination. Yeah, I mean, it is not it's not really a fantasy film. It is not at all. And that's how all of these trailers were. Um, mm-hmm. Snow Dogs, Kangaroo Jack, they took dream sequences and lifted them for the trailers. As the main feature. As the main feature for the films. Uh, Kangaroo Jack, 
They put it on the poster, essentially. Love the jacket, Charlie. Nice. I said the hip hop, the hippie, the hippie to the hip hip hop, and you don't stop the rock. I kind of want to see Kangaroo Jack now because of the uh, because of what I know now. I remember when it came out, and I remember it looked like a, a direct-to-video kind of thing. For those who don't know, Kangaroo Jack started as a PG-13 to R-rated uh, comedy uh, about gangsters, uh, and it got re-edited down to a PG because, you know, I, I will never know. I will never know. No. But that was, you know, and with Snow Dogs, it's actually a fairly, from what I understand, I haven't seen the film, but I know it's known to be a fairly serious film with racial uh, tension issues as a, as key plot points. So let's focus on those dogs in the trailers. Then you really stepped in it this time. <laughs> Disney's Snow Dogs. And on the poster, really. And on the poster. And in the title. <laughs> Pretty much everything about that movie. Pretty much everything, yeah. Um, Bridge to Terabithia, I feel like the only reason that that one probably gets a pass in terms of its horribly inaccurate marketing, which, by the way, really angered the author's son, who, A, lived through the events that the book is based on, and B, co-wrote the screenplay. I think the only reason that it didn't get more outrage is because that book is classic and everybody has read it, myself included. I mean, it was almost required, it was, it's required reading in a lot of schools, and it is, it is a great book, I, you know. So, you know, in this case, I'm just left to wonder, and these are movies that where they've really lied to the audience about what the trailers are about. I also have to give a special note to films like, again, just so many films. We we could go on and on about cases where they out and out lie, but there are some big examples. And you brought up one that we're going to now bring up. Let's talk about Bicentennial Man, because they really, really lied in those trailers. But there was something different about Andrew. How do you make a hanky dance? Put a little boogie in it. <laughs> I've seen that film exactly once. Me too. Yeah, uh, it was in high school. You know, it's one that I really initially had no interest in seeing. And wow, do they sell it as a feel-good family comedy. It looks like it's a fun, entertaining movie about, you know, oh, it's a family film. It's this happy story about a robot who becomes a person. And discovers that the only way to truly become a person is to die. That mortality <laughs> is what defines humanity. Right. That is the message of the story. Now, it works in the original Isaac Asimov story, which I have read. And the subsequent novel-length uh, version that he uh, co-wrote. Which is very good, and I recommend everybody seek out The Positronic Man. Excellent story, and really poetic. And, and note, there is no love story in that book, either. But yeah, one of the big things that the trailer does is go is say, uh, from the director of Mrs. Doubtfire. And of course, it has Robin Williams in it, too. Yeah. So you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a good... Oh, 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 God. Oh, no. And this this probably would have been about the time of what dreams may come. Yeah. Which, Robin Williams has always been kind of, a, you know, he's always kind of bounced back and forth from serious to comedic roles. But... Uh, uh, credit due, you mentioned What Dreams May Come. That one they at least sold accurately. That that was that was the movie you were getting. Uh, oh, was it? Note, I, I have some very serious rage issues regarding that movie simply because they didn't do a good job on adapting that book. It's a good book, though. It's a good book. And it's not a bad movie. I actually quite like it. It's just 
got its problems. But with Bicentennial Man, it's not the film that they sell you as. And in fact, it's kind of unsettling. The themes that work so well in the Asimov works, they don't work in this movie because it's clumsy. Because they graft on the love story, which is weird and it misses so much of the point you know i i got the point of the asimov story in this movie it just doesn't translate yeah i don't remember too much about the actual movie except the fact that it's rather depressing it's very depressing but i do remember the very last moment of the film most of the film he's basically involved in a legal battle about uh becoming a real person like what you know what can be considered a real person, blah, blah, blah. And he finally, you know, they're finally like, well, all your organs have been replaced, and, uh, you know, with all your mechanical parts have been replaced with organic organs, so, you know, we now legally declare you a person. He's like, yay! <laughs> he dies. Like, right there. It's announced on his deathbed. And it's funny, because that's a similar problem that Jack suffers from. Oh, God, yeah, we forgot about that one. What was with Robin Williams at that point in time? I I don't know. I I don't. To me, Williams is a case where tremendous talent, some of the worst role choices I can fathom. No, people who think Death to Smoochie was one of his worst role choices in that era have no idea. It's actually probably one of his better ones. It's a script by Adam Resnick, uh, who uh, did uh, Cabin Boy. Uh, honestly, I actually think that one's pretty funny. But I haven't seen Death to Smoochie. It's, it's a good script. It's, it's a good script. Um, but here's the thing: in this case, is you're just sitting there going, you know, with Jack. Oh, it's billed as this fun. Robin Williams is a little boy who suffers a heart attack, and at the end of the film, finally gets to be an adult, and he's going to die any time now. He's going to die soon. Jack Powell is 10. How fast do you grow? Four times as fast as you. Looks 40. I had a scary dream. Can I sleep in here? Of course, buddy. And is about to embark. How How would you like to see your classroom? (laughs) (laughs) Haha, it's great. It's a great fun film about a guy who has a degenerative disease where he ages four times faster than he should, so he's probably going to die soon, and he has issues fitting in, and, uh... Yeah. Hey, it's Francis Ford Coppola. Watch this. I guess what we're saying is watch uh, Jack, What Dreams May Come, and Bicentennial Man for the Robin Williams Festival of Death. <laughs> yes. yes. Yes, exactly. That's what it comes down to. Uh, uh, is it any wonder Francis Ford Coppola quickly decided, you know what, screw this, I'm going into winemaking. Yeah, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. His wines are, his wines are extremely well received, though, so. This is just, ugh. I just I, I I'm I'm trying to process how much those lied, but you know you mentioned there's another film that has been on the tip of our tongues on this cast, and that's uh, we gotta discuss Nurse Betty because boy is there a case where the trailers lie. This fall, this woman is on the run. Comes a chase like no other. Stupid is taking what doesn't belong to you. You are in serious danger. A romance like no other. Do I know you? Silly, it's me. We were engaged. Yes, yeah, so much so that I I went into that movie, as I'm sure a lot of people did, thinking it was going to be a madcap comedy. Oh boy, that's the wrong thing to sell that film as. It is so not. This is a very dark and unpleasant film. Like she she basically has a mental breakdown of in the middle of the film where she thinks that she's like this big star, 
She thinks she's a soap opera character. She thinks she's a soap opera character, yeah. The thing that triggers it is that she sees a guy getting scalped. Her husband getting scalped. Her husband. She sees her husband, who, by the way, is kind of, is kind of an asshole. Who's uh, screwing around on her. Just just say he's played by Aaron Eckhart and they can fill in the blanks. Oh, and I forgot that yeah, was him. Yeah, that was him. Yeah, you, you basically see him screwing his secretary. Yeah, he gets scalped. And that triggers like a, a big emotional thing. And then she just kind of loses it. And then... And then, you know, everything after that is where the trailers draw. And it's like, uh... There's there's a running subplot with the hitmen played by uh, Morgan Freeman and Chris Rock. Where the idea is that uh, Rock's character is his protege. It's funny, Freeman actually manages to out-curse Rock in the film. (laughs) Which is kind of awesome, frankly. That is funny. I, I should stress, Freeman is... It's 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 incredible. If you ever want to see Freeman do something completely opposite from what he usually does, this is the film to watch. This is the film to watch. Morality-free, vulgar, horned-up Morgan Freeman. Because the whole thing is he's hot for Zellweger. Wow. I, I, I should note, this was another case where I knew what the film actually was going in and quite enjoyed it, truthfully. But yeah, it's not the film that they sold it as, even remotely. Yeah. And you know, looking back, I'm sure it was a good film. You know, I remember, like, the first time we talked about it, we had extreme different reactions. You're like, oh, I love that film. I'm like, I fucking hated that film. It was awful. <laughs> and it's like, wow. <laughs> uh, who who directed it? I forgot. It was Neil LeBute, who, uh, whose credits range from... Look, here's the thing. Even when LeBute makes stuff that's good, it still reflects the fact that he's got some deep-seated issues that he desperately needs to find a therapist about. Yeah. But it is a hard sit. It, it is a hard film to sit through. For the for that reason. Because, I mean, here's the thing you need to keep in mind. One of the most normal characters in the film is played by Crispin Glover. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not really a... Uh, normal doesn't come to mind when you speak of him. No, but he, he really is. He's playing one of the most normal and sane characters in the entire film. Wow. Crispin Glover. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I didn't even really think, it didn't even occur to me that that was him until the end credits because he never plays normal characters. And Yeah. Just, just to give you, for all of you who don't know, uh, just to give you an idea, you know, of course he was George McFly in the original Back to the Future. They did not invite him back for the second film. They complain about him heavily in the commentary for the uh, for the DVDs. Uh, he sued the filmmakers for the second film because they used his likeness. You know, successfully, I might add. But he's also the guy who... Uh, he went on David Letterman as a guest. And, uh, like, he, he scared David Letterman. I knew that this was going to happen, and I... Uh... <laughs> I, can I tell you because the the press they can do things they can twist things around and because the this is the other it's thing they said Crispin Glover was pinstriped and greased up for the occasion impressing the girl things who are trying to get next to him guess some people are turned on by brill cream yeah well I don't know and then they you, 
I don't have these. You seem to be distraught. They don't. You seem to be distraught. People try to make me sound a lot weird, and yeah. I'm just, I'm strong, you know? I'm strong. I can arm wrestle. I, uh, do you want to arm wrestle? No. I've been taking, no. you know, I've been taking part. These aren't mine. I can, I can, I can kick. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go check on the top ten. No, I'm sorry. Let that sink in for a bit. He scared David Lehrman so much that, you know, he like he was doing some kung fu moves on him, and Lehrman's like, yeah, we'll be right back. And when they came back from credits, he was just mysteriously gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's just, that says everything about this film. It's, it's completely askew. But it's sold as a film that it's not. Because it's easier to sell that kind of quirky comedy. And audiences were furious over that. As they should have been. It should be here. Here's one thing that we should note about Neil LeBute. He directed. Uh, he wrote and directed the Wicker Man remake. Oh, okay. <laughs> a movie that I don't even enjoy making fun of because it is such an ugly, ugly, mm. ugly film. Such a misogynistic movie. It, it is. It is. Oh man, that's the most misogynistic film I've ever seen. Period. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the men's rights activist movement didn't use that film in some form or another for their cause. All right, for those who've never seen it, every single woman in the film turns out to have been involved in a plot to kill Nicolas Cage. Yeah, every single woman in the movie is evil. Like, Literally. every single woman you you see on screen. Uh, yeah. This is not an exaggeration. Characters who have tiny parts in the film turn out to be members of a man-hating cult. Right. Oh, it's a sick film. So, but again, it's a good movie. This is actually one that he did that I like. Yeah, Nurse Betty, you mean? Yes, Nurse Betty is one that yeah. I actually like. Again, largely because of Freeman and Rock, who are good in the film. It's entertaining. Uh, Greg Kinnear is good in it. It's Zellweger does a really great job. As hard as this material is, she does a great job. Yeah. So it's it's one that I like. It's one that I like, I, I, you know, but yeah, I don't blame you for reacting negatively to it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's almost the case with almost all really inaccurate trailers, is that they don't know what they're selling. Because, you know, usually you have to consider this. Trailers are being cut while the film is being cut. Some people, you know, sometimes they can figure it out. Um, yeah. Sometimes there's a clear vision of exactly what it is. The trailers for Django Unchained were superb. They, you know, they told you exactly the film you were getting. And it is, that's weird, because Django is listed in the, uh, in, in that TV Tropes, uh, article. Really? I thought the trailers were pretty accurate. Yeah, me too. I mean, they, at least tonally, they told you the movie you were getting. I, 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 I had, I, trust me, I didn't hear anybody walking out of that movie grumbling. Uh, that, that that one played great, but you know, I don't know. Sometimes, but I think that that is sometimes part of the problem is that the trailers are being cut while the film is being cut. You know, and and so yeah, you are going to wind up with an unclear vision because maybe the film isn't quite set in stone. I mean, as I said, with comedies that does happen a lot because of, comedies are probably tested more than just about any other film because the filmmakers test them. That's just it. Comedies usually get very heavily tested because the filmmakers know that they work best. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. 
I, 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 you know, we could go in, by the way, to the myriad, like, tiny little plot points that are inaccurate in trailers that they set up via suggestion and all that. We could go into that. There's no point. Pretty much every trailer does that. Yeah. One subtrope that I do want to bring up real quick before we leave this, you know, this general topic of trailers and look at wrapping up is I want to talk about the fact, have you ever noticed that there will be kisses put in trailers between characters who aren't romantically involved? <laughs> yeah. That happens in like, I know the tourist had a sh- had a kiss from a dream sequence that was jammed into there for no particular reason. I know that um, Parker, the uh, Jason Statham film, there's a scene where he kisses Jennifer Lopez, uh, for, which I've not seen the film, I've only heard about this, for no other reason than that they could put that in the trailer. Wow. Uh, gay-themed movies often have uh, the straight romance played up. Uh, it's just not accurate, but I feel like before we go out on this, we should uh, we should pause to note when they actually get it right. Mm-hmm. And that is examples of trailers that get it right. Obviously, there's a million we could list, but do you have any favorites that come to your mind? Um, Scott Pilgrim, yeah, of course, which we mentioned. Um, yeah, Hunger Games. I know the Dark Knight trailers did really well. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot. Like, any any of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Yeah. They have a good handle on things. The first Iron Man trailer was a thing of beauty in terms of telling the audience, hey, oh, this yeah. is what this is. Right now in theaters, I think the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer is brilliant. Yeah, Because that's a hard film to sell. But I think they do a great job. I had someone ask me last night, is it a parody? Well, yeah, it kind of is. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, look, it's a movie with... They're doing a good job at telling the audience that, yes, you can laugh at this movie. I mean, for the love of God, Chris Pratt is our main character. Right. One of the main characters is a raccoon voiced by Bradley Cooper with a machine gun. And a tree voiced yeah. by Vin Diesel that only says three words. Yes. You can laugh at this movie. You can enjoy it. But also, there's going to be some action and it's going to be serious. I, I, I think that the way they structure that trailer, introducing the characters saying who they are and why we should be interested. Great decision. So they're doing a good job at telling the audience, okay, this is what this is. You can reject it, but this is what it is. Uh, and I think that, and by the way, judging by the re- internet response to this trailer and just from talking to people, it got people's attention. Will it be a hit or a dud? I don't know. We'll see in a few months. But I know that I'm looking f- forward to it. Let's just say that uh, the weekend after that trailer hits, iTunes sales for Hooked on a Feeling went up like mm, 2,000%. Yeah, and that's not an exaggeration. That's that's how much they went up. Yeah, it, that is exactly how much it went up. The uh, Marvel, yesterday was free comic book day. Marvel had uh, two items. I did not read the Guardians of the Galaxy story, but I did read the Rocket Raccoon story. Oh, I did. Uh, I read the the Guardians of Galaxy. That did pretty much what the trailer did, which yeah. was go to each individual member and maybe provide a more detailed analysis of who they were. Like for instance, the fact that and this is this is almost this is this feels like burying the lead for me, but the fact that the girl uh-huh. is Thanos's daughter. Yes, yes she. Is. Holy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a big plot. Damn. Yeah. 
and yeah, she is, which will play in, which will play into the movie. I understand. Uh, I I did read the Rocket Raccoon short, and man, that was fun. Nice. I, I'm honestly at this point, I'm probably gonna have to pick up his solo story because I looks like fun. Uh, but yeah. I don't know. I found so much to enjoy about this. I I really did. I I, I really find a lot to love here. And so yeah, I'm you know. These are good things. These are good, you know, these are good trailers. I'll tell you one that trailer that I really loved. And I think this is kind of an example of how tra- of how we've been burned by trailers. When I saw the trailer for Chronicle, I thought, wow, that's a brilliant trailer for a film that's not going to be anywhere near this good. Because that is an amazing trailer. But it feels like they got all of their money shots out of the way in the trailer. And it, it looks like a good movie. But you can just tell, oh boy, this is going to be one of those movies. Great trailer, terrible film. No, no. Not so. No, no. Um, for one thing, they're saving one of the most breathtaking shots I've ever seen in a found footage movie. A shot that is so amazing that I'm not even going to describe it for the viewer, for the listener. I want you to see the film to see it. It's. I'm going to, say, I'm going to refer to it as the football sequence. It is hmm. one of those moments where you're amazed at what you're seeing. Uh, it, it is incredible. Um, the film itself turns out to be actually even smarter than the trailer suggests. The uh, About the only thing the trailer doesn't make clear is that it makes it clear that one of the characters is going to turn evil. They don't tell you that they're still going to stay through his... You're still staying on his point of view. Oh, you're not gonna. You don't leave his. You don't leave his point of view. No, you keep following his point of view. Dang. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um. I hope I'm interesting you. And in, I hope I'm getting you interested in the film because that's what the film does. Oh yeah. It stays on his point of view. You stay largely in his perspective. It changes a bit towards the th- towards the end of the film. It shifts a bit, but you're still by and large following this character. Yeah, uh, Chronicle is an excellent film. I it's one it's one of the few films I've ever seen that's scarier the second time around. Oh, nice! Because the first time around you're scared that something bad is going to happen. The second time around you know something bad is going to happen. But uh, you know, so trailers, yeah, they they've got their problems. But this is uh this has been a chance for us to discuss them, to say what we like, what we dislike. Mm-hmm. Uh, feel free to chime in. Tell us what you like and what you dislike. You can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on our Twitters at, at filmroomcast. Uh, our personal Twitters, I am at PrimitiveManPRD. Austin is at UntitledUser. Find us on Facebook. Like us there. Like, comment, subscribe. The link is facebook.com slash thefilmroom. You can find us on our blog at thefilmroom.podbean.com. Uh, that's where we post all our links, uh, all the supplemental material. This is the cast along the blog is a very audiovisual thing, so for a complete experience, go there. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes if that's more convenient for you. So yeah, that's about it for us this week. Until then, we're out. See you later, guys.
Welcome back to the show. We're running a little uh, short of time tonight. I would have loved to have chatted more with Crispin Glover, but I understand he had a cab to catch, and well, traffic this time of night here in Midtown is pretty brutal, so we wanted to, wanted to ensure every possibility that he would get wherever he was going on time. Did you enjoy that, Paul? It was uh, an interesting segment. Yeah. Uh... I think that's the first time that we've been doing the show that a, a guest actually tried to kick me. Well, I think it was a conceptual piece. Uh, well, he came very close to denting my head with those yes. giant, with those giant shoes. So I thought, I don't need that. I'm I'm 40. I went to college. I've had a number of. I don't need. This that is not how I want my life ended. Some goofball, some dork from uh, wherever. Oh, stop it! Stop it! Yeah, you want to have dinner with the guy?